Welcome to the Raise with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day, where life of Jesus meets yours. In this episode, we have our sermon from this past Sunday, and once you're done, be sure to check out the show notes for our sermon discussion guide. Here goes. Dear fellow redeemed, in this, the sixth Sunday in the season of Easter, we'll consider briefly a verse or two from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul had written this. Actually, it'll be three verses. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So last week, last week, um, tried to spend a good probably six or eight minutes <laughs> like a quarter of the sermon, talking about the fact that free will does not exist. That it does not exist in spiritual matters. That we have free will in everything external, but since the fall into sin, the only ability we have, spiritually speaking, is to fall away. We have no ability to commit ourselves to Christ or decide for Christ or become a Christian on our own to grow in faith apart from the Word of God but that God, in his grace, sends his spirit to create and strengthen faith when and where he chooses. That was kind of the, um, this is the bulletin from last week. And always on the front of the bulletin, I have a little section down at the bottom on the front page that kind of gives a little background on one of the readings or touches on some doctrinal topic that we might be might be related to our readings today. And this is how this um, portion from the formula of Concord put it, that the scriptures deny to the intellect, the heart, and the will of the natural man all readiness, skill, capacity, and ability to think, understand, be able to do, begin to will, undertake, act, work, or agree to work anything good and right in spiritual matters. That's a lot easier to follow when you read it than when you hear it. I will definitely grant you that. But if we recall from last week, that baseline starting point, that if we are to be Christian, if we are to be branches in a vine, then Jesus has to do the work of grafting us in and keeping us in. And why? Because behind that is a truth that might be a mystery. It's certainly a mystery for you and me. It's a mystery in the biblical sense that it is not something we would understand, not something that we would perceive if God had not told us. And so you think of uh, the mysteries that Scripture reveals, the mystery that God is triune. God would, you know, we would not have known that if God hadn't told us. You think of the other mysteries that we, that we hear in Scripture, the mystery that God is gracious and that God has given his Son for your salvation and mine. That is something that must be revealed in Scripture, that it cannot be perceived by our own logic or intellect. And the mystery that we're talking about today, the the teaching from the Word of God that cannot be understood on the basis of what we know and want by nature, that mystery is this idea of original sin. Happy Mother's Day, right? Let's talk about original sin. But there's some truth to that. Because you and I all have parents. 
Whether you've known them for a long time or whether you never got the chance to meet your parents, you just keep tracing that family tree all the way back to the beginning of time and you'll see our very first two parents there standing at the tree. You might recall the, very, the only two people <laughs> that, um, that had spiritual free will. And when they gave up that free will, they passed that down to us. They passed down their, their bondage, their slavery in their will. Just the same that you or I might get our hair color or our eye color from our parents, um, so also from parent to child, it's passed down from generation to generation, starting with the first two people and spreading out throughout time because you and I are of the same, exact same stuff as Adam and Eve. Biologically, we are their children. And this idea that we have been born into sin that we cannot commit ourselves to God is based in the idea that we are by nature dead. That's kind of terrifying. That we are by nature dead in sin, that we cannot, cannot have any movement toward God, that we are enslaved, even as our first hymn talked about, enslaved as though in chains. But there's more to it than that. That not only is it passed down from parent to child, but also... Adam and Eve standing there at the tree. Adam was the representative of all people, and God counted him guilty. And so by virtue of being a person, God holds you and me guilty of Adam's sin. So it's both parent to child, generation to generation, as well as a direct line from Adam to you, from Adam to me, that as in Adam, you and I were there, and we sinned. And at the same time, as children of Adam, we share in his fallen nature. And the only freedom we have now as people in this world is to fall away. And that's kind of a terrifying thought. It's almost, almost panic-inducing, right? Because we can't do anything. And that's exactly what Paul talks about here. For since death came through a man, and as in Adam all die. That's the first part of what he talks about. That Adam brought death into the world. And because of Adam's sin and our sin that we are born with, that we can't fight our way out of, we will die too. Panic-inducing. But not really. Because you know what panic is? I don't know if you've ever had a panic attack. I think I've had maybe one or two in my life. Um, one was where I had a, a low blood sugar incident in, in college, and the college, college nurse, in what she said and what she didn't say, basically insinuated that she thought I had a brain tumor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's not my favorite nurse. <laughs> um, and if you've ever had that feeling, that experience of of you just can't calm yourself down and, and it feels very uncomfortable and you gotta get away but you don't know where and Southwest Airlines isn't even there to, to take you away. Maybe you're, for you, panic is more like I have to stand up and talk in front of a bunch, a bunch of people who expect me to know what I'm talking about. Um, maybe for you, panic is something else entirely. If all of a sudden the phone service, um, your cell phone stops working and your children are out somewhere else and they don't have a map in the car, that would be rather panic inducing. Where are they? I can't talk to them. Do they know how to get back home? 
But panic is a strange condition where it only happens when somebody thinks there's a possibility of escape, but they're not sure. And this happens among people, it happens in large groups, it even happens in the animal kingdom. That panic only happens when people think there might be an escape, but they're not sure. So in experiments, the lab rat um, is given the option of thinking maybe there's another way out. And he'll run back and forth, back and forth, until he finds out that there's no escape. And then there's calmness. When an animal is brought into the animal shelter, they will go back and forth almost in a panic, in a crazed tizzy, wondering how they shall get out until they lay down and relax. And even with people in extreme circumstances like, um, like stampede crowds that you hear about overseas occasionally, or the extreme panic-inducing incidents of, of our own country like 9-11, when people think there's an escape, but they're not sure, they panic. And in that regard, the teaching of original sin is not panicking. It's dire, it's strong, it's unchanging, it's rigid, but God makes it clear that there is no way out. That it's not a condition where we think there might be a way out, and if we just try a little bit harder, if we just teach a little bit better, if we follow the right principles and find the right book and use the right life coach, then maybe we can coach our way out of it. Original sin, the way God has told us in Scripture, the way God has revealed this mystery to us, original sin is not panic-inducing because Scripture makes it abundantly clear that there is no way out. Scripture reveals that, and as a Christian who can read a history textbook or re look at history yourself, you can see this played out across time, that humans are incredibly consistent with their bend toward total depravity. But it's not panic-inducing, because as in Adam, all die. As in Adam, you and I have been given that same bound in sin status. As in Adam, his sin is counted as yours and mine, Paul says. So in Christ, all will be made alive. You see, God bound all people over to sin. He kept them bound and trapped in sin. He didn't say, well, if you just try a little bit harder, then you can work your way out. He said, if you are not holy, you're going to hell. To remove any sense of panic, and to communicate to you and to me the severity of what God's righteousness really entails. And then he gave his son. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Yes, the fact that all people die <laughs> is proof again of original sin, but Christ has been raised. Christ has been raised from the dead, that you and I who had been trapped, utterly trapped in sin, without any way, no matter how hard we kicked against the door, without any way out, Jesus came among us as one of us, and he rose from the dead to guarantee your forgiveness and your freedom, to guarantee that his righteousness has been clothed and painted over you in his blood. 
that his holiness now works through you so that you, as a branch connected to the vine, now produce the fruit of that holiness. You can think of it this way. Um, raise your hand. We'll take a quick poll. This is the, the crowd interactive portion, right? <laughs> we'll take a quick poll. Um, who here decided exactly which day it was that you wanted to be born? <laughs> Funny, because both of you have mothers who are here, and we can double check on that one. <laughs> yeah, I, if I had cho been choosing days, I probably would have picked sometime in August, not in January, you know, because January's right after Christmas. January birthday is right here, right? You and I didn't choose what day we were born. We were born. And then we were reborn in the waters of holy baptism that we, as human beings, even had no choice over that, that most fundamental aspect of our lives, of the day we took our first breath in this world. And even, even the mother, you know, um, like I have a family member in my extended family who's awaiting a baby any day now, and by their clock, she's overdue by about five or six days, but by her clock, she'll, she'll be another two and a half weeks or so. <laughs> Who really knows? Even the mother doesn't have any actual control on when she goes into labor and has a baby, and how much less you or I had any actual control on when we were born into this world. But Jesus... Jesus, who is apart from sin, chose the time and the place and the person. He chose the exact setting when he would be born. He chose the mother to whom he was born, and he shares in our human nature exactly the same way, that the greatest miracle of all, that the eternal Son of God is also completely human, just like you and me, as um, I think the, the Athanasian Creed puts it with rational soul and human flesh, that he didn't just pretend to be human, he didn't just pretend to be God, but he truly is and continues to be both God and man in this one person. And he chose when and where and why he would be born so that he could die so that he could come into this world to share in our human flesh, to be born, yes, to a mother. He didn't just drop himself down into history, but he, he used the natural order of creation that he had created so that even the Son of God himself can say, yes, he has a mother too, just like you and I have an earthly mother. And this Son of God bowed his head to, to death, even though he had no original sin that was passed down from parent to child, we don't know how God accomplished that, but he did. He was not counted guilty in the same way that you and I are, and yet he carried our guilt. He carried our guilt and laid down his life to be raised from the dead. For since death came through a man, through the resurrection of the dead, or the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And so this resurrection of Jesus is proof that, yes, you and I, body and soul, will be reunited after we've been buried. That you and I will be raised from the dead after our death, whether we were cremated and scattered or placed in the ground in a regular burial. That you and I will be raised from the dead. Because, yes, our God chose the time and the place and the reason why. 
he was born to take away your sin and mine. To come to people who are completely trapped in their inability to do anything of spiritual value. To come to people who all they could do was fall away. And Jesus came and picked us up and grafted us into himself. And he repeats this and reiterates this truth when he says, take and eat, take and drink for the forgiveness of your sins. He repeats this and reiterates this truth when Pastor Hagen gets up and has the privilege to say, dear friend, your sin is forgiven. And look at the results. As Jesus says in, um, in our gospel reading, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. And then verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends because everything that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will endure so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And with those words, Jesus puts the final nail in the coffin of this idea of human free will. He says, it doesn't exist. But the work that he does through you and me does exist. He says that the works that he wants to accomplish through you and me don't add anything at all to our salvation, but they are the natural result of being grafted into the vine. And even though, even though death is the natural result of, of our human life and the natural result of the sin that we are born with and the natural result of being guilty of Adam's sin, Jesus says that the works he accomplishes through you will endure forever that the works he accomplishes through you will endure forever. So the work that we work together with in, the, in, the, in a congregation, the encouragement that we encourage one another with in a congregation, your witness to somebody who is outside of the church, even to the simple fact that, you know, I, I believe in the resurrection of the dead and that Jesus is going to raise me again, that those works have been set apart and sanctified and, and made holy because Jesus has connected you to himself. For as in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. And at that last day, when Jesus raises me and all the dead, <laughs> we will stand before him guiltless, spotless, radiant and holy. We will stand before him in the, the rejoicing that yes, Jesus has accomplished his purpose in being born to a human mother at that specific time and place and reason why, so that we would stand before him with the fruit that he accomplished in your life and mine to the glory of his name. Yes, Christ is risen. <laughs> he is risen indeed.